Welcome to Capital Close-Up. I'm your host, Paul Hodes, here on WKXL AM and FM in Concord, New Hampshire, and 101.9 in Manchester, New Hampshire, where together we now reach over 300,000 granite staters and we're podcast wherever it is you find your podcasts and if you're if you're listening to this by podcast please make sure to subscribe to the podcast tell all your friends about us and check out all the podcasts under the beyond politics banner well here we are folks we are in the home stretch towards another historic midterm election and the pollsters tell us that people in both of our major parties the republicans and the democrats are are engaged are really engaged and are and are really intent on this upcoming midterm election the country has never been more divided our democracy has perhaps never been more threatened since the Civil War. And uh, the Republicans and Democrats are talking about very different issues. Um, we're going to talk with some really wonderful and educated guests about some of the issues facing the nation and especially in the Granite State. Um, Zandra Rice Hawkins and Sarah Robinson from Granite State Progress are with us today. Zandra is the founding executive director of Granite State Progress, and Granite State Progress works year-round to engage citizens from across the state around issues of very immediate state and local concern. Their mission is to provide a strong, credible voice in advancing progressive solutions to critical community problems. Um, it's really important in New Hampshire to have a strong, credible, progressive voice, especially when our legislature is now dominated by right-wing, radical, free state, uh, big lie libertarians. Um, Zandra has been very active, is a has won awards of all kinds in all kinds of venues, and we're excited to have Zandra back with us. And also with us is Sarah Robinson, the Education Justice Campaign Director for Granite State Progress. Uh, Sarah has been working to make our community better uh, for a long, long time, uh, including she um, has volunteered and organized Con Concord's chapter of uh, showing up for racial justice. And she's in her eighth year of organizing that very important work, educating the frankly mostly white um, uh, population of Concord about the importance of racial justice. Uh, so welcome to you both. We're glad to have you on Capital Close Up. So let's dive in. Some of the top issues on voters' minds include reproductive rights, health care, public education, gun violence prevention, and everybody's talking about inflation, but we're going to probably, we may or may not get to, to, to those issues, although they may all intersect as, as issues, as issues do. Um, so let's start by talking about the status of reproductive rights. Women's reproductive rights are human rights. They are all of our rights. I mean, everybody who cares about women, and that should be everybody, cares about women's reproductive rights um, because uh, the issues around reproductive rights are 
are family issues. They're legal issues. They're now political issues. My own personal bias has been the government has no place in people's bedrooms. The government has no place in doctor's offices. The government has no place in women's uteruses. I mean, you know, I've always said Republicans are for small government, just small enough to fit into your uterus. And uh, that, to me, is no way to run a nation. Our governor, Governor Chris Sununu, signed into law the very first ever New Hampshire ban on abortion. And the Republicans have made all kinds of excuses about it, saying, oh, it just brings us in line with other states and there's nothing unusual about it. Forget forget about the fact that there are no exceptions for rape, incest. Um, forget about that. Forget about the fact that it essentially criminalizes um, a medical procedure, which ought to be up to women, their doctors and their families. Forget all about that. And oh, as Chris Sununu said, um, I had to sign it. I mean, I couldn't just veto the budget. Never mind that when Democrats had presented budgets in the past, Chris Sununu had no trouble vetoing Democratic budgets. But when it came to the Republican budget with the first ever New Hampshire abortion ban, he was all in. His pen was ready. And off we go with Chris Sununu claiming that he's a pro-choice governor. Um, and uh, and and the sound that hear that sound, folks, that's the sound of flip flops. Um, when you hold them and you flop them together, they go like that because Chris Sununu talks out of both sides of his mouth about women's reproductive rights. He can't be trusted. And there's been plenty of action at the executive council as well. So with that little preamble, with that tiny bit of a rant, talk to us about what's going on. What's going on two weeks before election? Oh. And are women are women fired yeah. up and will they come out and vote? Uh, a lot going on for sure. And what is just incredible is despite the public outcry over the attack on abortion rights and reproductive health care in general, uh, Republican lawmakers in New Hampshire continue to march forward with their campaign to take away our right to bodily autonomy. And there are a couple of recent things that really highlight just how far they're willing to go. Um, we just were up at the state house this past week to listen to a bill that had been retained um, by House Republicans and sent to interim study, which, you know, to be honest, is a polite way to kill a bill in a second year. And also, given how radical this um, state legislature has been, was a safer way to make sure we didn't have a really bad bill, get a floor vote that might advance it. But this bill was pretty egregious and very in line with what they were hoping to do. And it would have allowed um, any man to halt a pregnant person's um, abortion. It was House Bill 1181. Um, it would allow, again, any man to prohibit a pregnant person from having an abortion by um, claiming that they were the father of that child and they could delay that abortion um, for weeks in order to um, make it harder for that person to seek the care that they were um, that they wanted and make the, their own choices about their life. And while this bill ultimately did get a recommendation not to move forward with it, it was just another highlight of where some House Republicans in New Hampshire are on this issue and would mirror some of the far right um, legislation that we've seen across the country as well. 
Um, so that again, that bill was House Bill 1181. It had an interim study executive session just this past week. And then at the same time, we've got the federal level, you know, U.S. Senate candidate Don Bulldock saying that gentlemen legislators should make decisions <laughs> about reproductive rights for for women and that, uh, you know, these are folks who are not ready or willing or understanding to back down from these really extreme positions. And so the only check and balance we have is at the ballot box. Can you share with us, if you if you know, the name of the sponsor of that most impressive piece of garbage <laughs> legislation? Um, let me see if I've got it in my notes right here. I want to say that, well, I know um, that there were a couple of committee members who spoke on it, but let me pull up the exact sponsors so we have those in front. And I also will um, let folks know there was a really great New Hampshire Bulletin article on it from last year that really broke down what was happening. This is a piece of legislation that actually got national attention because of how egregious it was. But again, not so egregious that it's out of line with other bills that we have seen of this nature go through the state house or through other um, state chambers. So, you know, six week heartbeat type bills that are just complete misnomers. The fact that, um, you know, the Republican majorities in the House and Senate passed the first abortion ban in, in modern New Hampshire history that Governor Sununu signed, and then they had to come back immediately the next year to repeal portions of it due to public pressure, which was great, but also in the interim, you know, have really made people nervous about what their rights are and potentially put some, some folks in danger who were caught up and the pieces that they repealed of that were frankly not, all, you know, the whole thing needs to be repealed, but there were pieces around um, moms who came in to testify who had really extenuating situ situations around, you know, they knew that their fetus was not going to survive outside the womb. They needed abortion care. And it just highlights, this is how reproductive rights work. Every person's situation is different. Every pregnancy is different. Every person should be able to make a choice for themselves about what that care needs to be and also what they want their life to look like. And, and that right to bodily autonomy is just so incredibly important. Um, so those bill sponsors were um, Representative Breeson and Representative Stapleton. Um, and both where, and where, were they, where were they from? Um, Grayson represents Grafton. Um, he lives in Wentworth and Stapleton is out of Claremont. So folks, any of you who may be listening and might be inclined to express your opinions, it's really important as citizens to participate in democracy. Voting is really important. Um, it's more important than ever. Um, but also, you know, I mean, we have legislators who um, are have uh, have uh, they they have email addresses. They they can they can they can receive email. Um, I always believe in polite email. I believe in straightforward email. I do not believe in in using email improperly. But as a citizen, uh, I think any every person in New Hampshire could feel free to write to legislators who are advancing garbage legislation that takes away our human rights and women's reproductive rights, uh, which, by the way, are the same thing. Women's reproductive rights are human rights. And um, let them know. Let them know. You can, um, for example, reach 
um, Representative Stapleton at walt.stapleton at leg.state.nh.us. And you can express your opinion. It's a really, really, and uh, let me just tell you, as somebody who has been involved with politics, it works um, because, um, you know, the representatives in New Hampshire don't have a lot of staff. And it's not like they are like members of Congress in the Senate who have staff who intercept their emails. They get their emails. They read their emails. And emails count. So please become an engaged citizen, especially in this last two weeks. Um, you can easily research who representatives are that are doing various things and reach out and touch someone. Reach out to those legislators and let them know what you're thinking. So one other question about reproductive rights is what's been going on at the New Hampshire Executive Council in terms of funding for family planning grants, sex education, um, and those kinds of issues? Well, the family planning grants that the Republican Executive Council have consistently held up, um, which would do a range of um, things in our community, but some of them, you know, STD detection, preventive services, breast cancer screenings, like th these are um, contracts that carry a lot of weight and could, you know, determine public health and personal outcomes for a lot of low-income families in our state. But because of the ideology and the, and the politics of the Republican Executive Council um, have been put in jeopardy in a way that they never should have been. Um, now the Executive Council is weighing in on sex education um, and looking to similarly hold up contracts and programs because of their right wing um, politics for grants that they actually have supported in the past and programs that they have allowed to happen in the past. And I'm going to turn it over to Sarah to talk about exactly what these programs are about, which are really beneficial to families in our community. Yeah. And by approved them in the past, they've approved them for the past 10 years. The sex education contracts in question are administered through Amoskeg Health, um, as well as um, uh, they're specifically aimed at reducing teen pregnancy in Sullivan County. Um, at the, the contract is, um, has been tabled for the third time by executive counselors, Joe Kenny, David Wheeler, and Ted Gatsis, even though in previous terms, they've specifically approved this contract in particular. Um, and it's frustrating because the, the, the program, which targets at-risk youth, um, you know, kiddos who have experienced uh, homelessness, sex trafficking, um, you know, like separation from their parents um, and their concerns about the material being inappropriate or not requiring enough parental involvement in order for students to participate or and this is outside of the public education purview. This is through healthcare centers in order for young people to participate. You need parental permission and parental involvement in the program. So it's very family oriented um, and it is encouraged that parents are a part of this process. Um, so the argument that it's 
age inappropriate or that parents aren't being given enough uh, say over the determination of their children's access to education is a red herring. That's not actually the situation that we're dealing with here. And I want to tip my hat to uh, some of the coverage in the New Hampshire Bulletin um, that has really tracked the progress of this. So if folks want to do a deeper dive, I recommend going to um, uh, their site and reading through, uh, I believe it's Anne-Marie Timmons has been covering it um, and has been doing a great job of saying exactly what the executive counselors are saying on the floor during meetings and how folks are responding. Yeah, um, you know, and, I, I'm sorry. I just want to give oh, a quick, ahead. I just want to give a quick shout out to the New Hampshire Bulletin, which is really um, doing a very good job at covering complex issues. Um, my understanding and my recollection is that the New Hampshire Bulletin is staffed uh, by folks who basically moved over from the Concord Monitor. Um, a, num a number of them moved over from the Concord Monitor, but now seem to have um, more freedom and ability to go in depth on, on very important issues, which they may not have had the opportunity to at uh, their old venue, the the stalwart Con Concord Mon Monitor. Um, so the New Hampshire Bulletin is is a pretty good source of information that seems to be uh, objective information. Um, it looks like good journalism to me. So I encourage my listeners to check out the New Hampshire Bulletin. Sarah, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to give that shout out to some other talking heads out there in the world who were trying to do a good, sure. a good job. Yeah, no, and I, I appreciate you giving them the shout out they've done. I agree. It's incredibly balanced. It's very fact-based, well-researched stuff. So um, that, as we've been explaining this issue to our constituencies, uh, we've been providing folks with uh, that heads up, like, hey, if you really want to do a deep dive, this is a great place to go. Um, so our real concern about the executive council or some executive counselors, it's not the entire council, it's just the three that I mentioned, um, sort of raising these issues about parental input and the appropriateness of this curriculum really meshes with um, the, uh, the argument around parental bill of rights um, that are, there's a lot of attempts to have that uh, process or those uh, policies implemented at the school board level across the state right now too. Um, so you mentioned in the, in the opener that a lot of these things are all tied together. And this in particular is, a, is one more branch of pitting parents a particular set of angry, um, enraged and engaged parents against um, valuable institutions and working to break them down to the point of no longer being viable services for the public. You know, it's, it's, it, our schools are, uh, it's, are obviously, <laughs> schooling is a very important and big subject. And we're gonna, we'll talk some more about some of these, uh, of these other issues. But um, in about a minute, what was the source uh, or what do you see as the source of the quote, parental rights platform or the push for parental rights? What's the supposed complaint that, is pushing this issue forward. So we're finding that the Parental Bill of Rights, which is really evolving into an attack on LGBTQ plus kiddos, uh, is an extension of the efforts of the anti-CRT movement. It's all sort of the, the death by a million cuts 
attacks that the far right is making at our public education system. Um, you know, and that's across the country as well. Of course, midterm elections are a federal term for um, the fact that they occur mid term in the presidential cycle. But of course, in New Hampshire, everybody's elected every two years. Our, our mostly volunteer uh, legislature, um, 400 strong in the House, the fourth largest parliamentary body in the English-speaking world, the United States Congress, the British Parliament, the Indian uh, Congress and New Hampshire. So we do democracy in New Hampshire in a in a big way. I sometimes joke with people that every representative represents 12 people. It's not exactly that, but we're pretty close to our representatives here. And uh, everybody runs every two years for the grand sum of $100. And uh, that may say something about the quality of the legislation we sometimes get, and especially now that Republican, right-wing, radical, libertarian, free state, big lie, um, uh, stomp on everybody's rights, Republicans have taken over. Uh, you know, it's been a pretty wild ride in New Hampshire. So voters, you have a choice coming up. Now, I sometimes put it pretty simply. I think the choice is fascism or freedom. Which which way do you want to go? Uh, fascist autocracies um, make enemies of others. Uh, they believe in a strong man rule. Um, rarely is it a strong woman rule for fascists. I, I can't remember a, a, a fascist woman uh, government, but uh, they believe in um, the power of the gun instead of the power of the ballot. Uh, they want to take away the fundamental freedoms that we have enjoyed as Americans and replace it with a system where uh, a strong man and government tell us what to do. And for a party, Republicans, who always talked about small government, man, oh man, there seems to be a pretty active attempt to insert government everywhere they can to tell people what they should or shouldn't think, what they should or shouldn't read, what they can and can't do with their bodies. And uh, as we've been discussing in the first uh, first segment, we talked a little bit about the, the stunning developments um, in reproductive rights in New Hampshire, the first ever a ban on abortion in New Hampshire that has affected many, many Granite Staters and not in a good way. Um, the efforts of the right have extended to the schools. Uh, and we are, um, all I can say, folks, is this is a very important election. You know, I, I as, as somebody involved in politics, it's it, you often hear people say, well, this is the most important election of our lifetime. Whether or not this is the most important election of our lifetime or just an important election, uh, it is our chance to, frankly, fight back, to say to the radical right, this is not New Hampshire. This is not uh, how we want to see government work. We want an effective government that respects individual rights, where people work together for the common good. The higher ground of the common good is not lost in New Hampshire. We want to return common sense instead of ideology. Uh, and this is our chance at every level in our state to send not only that message, it's not just a message, 
it means a huge amount because given the dysfunction at the federal level, what happens at the state level is more and more important um, in the post-Roe era with the Dobbs decision in the Supreme Court. What happens at the state level about women's reproductive rights is, is what's going to happen, right? The, the Supreme Court of the United States, in their ineffable radical right-wing wisdom, left it all up to, to the states to decide. So, folks, you're in the driver's seat about what ought to happen in New Hampshire this election season. Do we return common sense, or are we going to continue down this path towards autocracy and government interference in our fundamental freedoms? Now, with that small rant, let's turn from the sex education issue that we talked about in the first segment, where uh, this so-called parental rights platform um, is is being pushed um, uh, in order to I don't know what tell 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 teachers what they can and can't teach put pit school boards against parents um, uh, have a small minority of angry outspoken parents who have. Uh, radical views about what kids ought to know or shouldn't know in a society, by the way, where social media makes everything available to everybody all the time. I mean, this is like trying to put your thumb into the Hoover Dam. But putting that aside, talk to us a little bit about what's going on in public education, um, especially now that we see nationally um, a, a real effort to to regress on, frankly, the acceptance of individuality and humanity of everybody. Um, and there is a real right-wing push against uh, L LGBTQ plus students and transgender, um, uh, transgender people. Um, what's going on in New Hampshire about all these issues? Um, I appreciate the lead-in and the reference back to the Parental Bill of Rights because it is what one of the flagship pieces of legislation for Republicans, uh, it's been reintroduced as an LSR already, um, as well as a local voucher program has always uh, also, pardon me, uh, been introduced. So we're, we've been given a glimpse into what the hopes are for the Republican Party if they maintain uh, trifecta moving forward. Um, so show up on November 8th. One more plug <laughs> for showing up on November 8th. Um, because the Parental Bill of Rights is so important to the party, it's uh, there has been a real effort across the state in various communities to implement aspects of that bill and that mindset at the school board level. Um, we've been working with communities uh, who have been working against either genuine book bans or bans on curriculum at their school district level to attempts at a community level to remove books from uh, local uh, public libraries. Um, and every community is different in the way that these attempts are made, um, but the response from communities is always the same. They don't want anything to do with this. They really want to provide safe spaces for their kiddos where learning can thrive. And we're well aware of, um, you know, the unfortunate um, effects of intolerance that uh, affect our trans community in particular, but LGBTQ plus uh, kiddos at large. One in five trans kids uh, seriously contemplates suicide. 
um, at a young age. And when we offer affirming spaces for those kiddos, like school, um, those numbers drop in half. I mean, this is life-saving work. When we make sure that our districts protect the lives of LGBTQ kids, protect their autonomy, um, we're, we're giving them not just safety, but the ability uh, to grow into fully realized adults. Um, it's really essential stuff. And it's, it's easy to whip some parents into a frenzy over um, LGBTQ plus issues, uh, especially when folks don't really know that much. Um, it's easy to uh, villainize or fear what you don't know much about. Um, so it's been an effective strategy thus far. However, we've really been assisting communities to rise to the task and push things back. Nothing has been effective so far in any community that we've worked with um, because community at large, people just don't want stuff like this in their communities and, and they've been showing up in big ways. And I'm going to do a shameless plug here sure. that any listeners who are having any of this bubble up in their own community should absolutely reach out to Sarah. It's Sarah at grantstateprogress.org, Sarah with an H, um, because there are a lot of um, coalition partners and, and, and communities have already been impacted that are willing to share our knowledge, share our resources, because we do not want to see this hate take root in our communities and impact our students. And it's, it's a testimony to the work that Sarah and a lot of the other partners have been doing that um, the far right has not been successful in pushing these through at the local level, but they are definitely trying to. Big time. You know, I'm glad you use the word hate. It's a, it's a four letter word. And it seems to me that fascism thrives on hate. Hate is the essential underpinning of fascists and, auto and autocrats. Because what hate does is it points the finger at others um, for whatever what whatever difference or perception of difference there may be. Um, uh, at the moment, the hate uh, is being directed at L L LGBTQ plus and transgender students. It's being directed at books. It's being directed at teachers. Um, at the very top of the national food chain. Um, we're seeing a rise in anti-Semitism and hating Jews. Um, we hate literature. We hate books. We hate learning. Um, so we ban books. Um, and anybody who's different is up for hate and blame. It's their fault that whatever the string is. And hate has no place uh, in a civilized community. Um, we've it we've seen it uh, at the national level in the January sixth insurrection. We see it at the national level with the great Orange Cheeto, who was the former president, um, who we hope will be wearing an orange jumpsuit. Uh, we see hate in um, bubbling up uh, around the globe, and in New Hampshire, unfortunately, we are not immune. And you know the politicians and leaders like our public education commissioner, Frank Edelblut, can, can speak in mild tones and seem to be nice people and have pleasant personalities, but underlying that are policies of hate which have no place in New Hampshire. And they're being beat back by the common sense of our, uh, of our citizens. A few weeks ago, far-right uh, uh, state representative David Testerman 
uh, a name known to many who follow politics, lost his school board bid in Franklin, uh, running on a so-called parental rights platform. Now, and the great thing about semantics is you hear parental rights. Well, what could be wrong with parental rights? What parental rights is really about is destroying our public education system. That's really what's at the root of it. Parental rights that allow us to hate certain people and also drive wedges between the school boards and the teachers and parents and teachers. Um, and it has no place in New Hampshire. Now, Frank Edelblut is a pretty interesting character. He's a fellow who never had any experience in public education. He doesn't like public education. His, If you look at his uh, policies, it all seems de designed to undermine our public education system in New Hampshire. He homeschooled all his kids. And listen, I homeschooled my kid for a year or two. I'm, I have nothing against homeschooling. But this public education commissioner, Frank Edelblut, has a far right agenda. Um, let's just point uh, talk to us a little bit about his voucher program. Where does it fit in the budget? Who pays for it? How much does it cost? And what would it do if uh, we have this voucher program that he wants to put in? Um, so the the education freedom accounts, I'm using finger quotes, quotation marks for folks who can't see me, which we refer to as vouchers because that's what they are, um, is currently administered through the education um, trust fund, which is a big old bucket that holds money from all different places, different tax revenue goes in there, some money from the lottery. Uh, it's just the, the large container that the state administers and um, uh, adequacy aid to each school. Um, so adequacy aid is uh, just a flat, it, it applies to every single student in the state, no matter where they go, no matter their zip code. Um, additionally to that is differentiated aid. There's a couple different um, aspects of a child's experience that might make them eligible for more funding, like um, learning English as an additional language, um, needing uh, free or reduced lunch access, uh, reading proficiency in third grade, or needing access to special education services. All of those different things have different dollar amounts applied to them. So um, when a child disenrolls from their district, meaning they fully leave, the voucher program allows them to take their adequacy aid and whatever differentiated aid they qualify for and take it home with them for homeschooling or apply it to the tuition at a parochial or secular private school. Um, that averages for kiddos are between like $4,000 and $5,000 per kid. At present, the voucher program is serving 2,600 students, but under 300 of them have actually disenrolled from their district. So this is disproportionately serving students who have never participated in their local public school district. And we've seen the DOE and the, um, the Children's Scholarship Fund, in particular, encouraging um, students who have never participated in districts to apply for voucher dollars. Um, so the original fiscal amount that was applied to the bill um, that Frank Edelblut was very happy to announce was $129,000 in the first year. That should be the extent. And we're already now in its second year at $14 million. Um, so it is, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, was grossly undervalued, is clearly 
um, uh, disproportionately serving a group of folks who were not interested in participating in public ed in the first place, and is slowly draining public funding out of our school districts. Wait a second. Wait a second. Hold on, folks. Are you telling me that under this radical right wing commissioner of education and his cronies, that the New Hampshire taxpayers, who are penny-pinching, parsimonious, small government kind of people, that New Hampshire taxpayer dollars are paying for private education as opposed to paying for public education of our children? Are you telling me the taxpayer dollars are paying for private education in New Hampshire? Correct. And they do not, those tax dollars are not under the same scrutiny that they would be if they were being spent at a public school. So the um, testing and um, uh, comprehension levels that are required in schools that are public are not the same as uh, other options, as well as the licensing of teachers um, and other, uh, you know, different uh, unfunded mandates that come down from the state house to districts. None of that applies to private or homeschool options. Oh, my goodness. Well, folks, let me just say this, uh, a little commentary, which is this, that in our country, in the great United States of America, which cares about democracy, individual freedom, and the rights of citizens to participate as educated citizens in a democracy, the foundation of our democracy is our system of public education. Imperfect as it may be, public education is the place where children learn to be responsible adults. They should learn how to think, not necessarily what to think. They should be exposed to a wide variety of sources. Books should not be banned. Uh, and we should be supporting our public education system, not merely an adequate public education system, but an excellent public education system in a competitive world in the 21st century. Adequacy is inadequate. We need an excellent public education system, and both money and policy should be directed to supporting it. Instead, we have radical right-wing politicians who are using ideology to try to put wedges between parents and teachers to try to, and who are successfully using your money, people, your money as taxpayers to fund private education, often religious education, without the supervision that otherwise would be required of any use of public dollars. It's time to vote these people out and to uh, return New Hampshire to some common sense. So now let's talk about health care, because we talked about women's reproductive rights, and women's reproductive rights is also an important health care issue. They are not separate. Um, for example, the New Hampshire Executive Council denying funding to Planned Parenthood um, denies funding not just for, for women, women's reproductive rights, but also for all kinds of health care, um, routine health care that Planned Parenthood has provided. Nationally, we've made some progress Talk to us about what's going on in healthcare uh, and how it affects people in New Hampshire. Yeah, I'd be happy to because there has been an incredible amount of progress made at the federal level. Um, so much so that it's it's actually surprising to even say this with how much has been going on. But these are landmark healthcare acts, and 
um, as a former congressman and somebody who was there for the landmark <laughs> healthcare conversation around the Affordable Care Act. Um, Don't I know it? <laughs> no, you know it. <laughs> a game changer for healthcare for a lot of families and, and you know, provided coverage to millions of Americans who didn't have before. The Inflation Reduction Act that was signed into law recently builds on that good work and makes some long overdue improvements, both to the Affordable Care Act, which was great, but had a couple of pieces that were not able to make it through the first time around that we really wanted to see, um, as well as Medicare. Um, so a couple of these things are, um, we're expecting that 13 million Americans will start to save on their health insurance premiums starting in 2023. Um, that's an average savings of $2,400 per family. 49 million Medicare beneficiaries will no longer face um, outrageous price hikes from big pharma that have outpaced inflation, also beginning in 2023. Um, there will be $35 insulin co-payments for Medicare beneficiaries, also starting next year. And then 49 million Medicare Part D um, beneficiaries will have out-of-pocket costs for prescription drugs capped at $2,000 per year beginning in 2025. And that's been a huge one because obviously, um, as you get older, you tend to need more in the realm of healthcare and having that cap for those out-of-pocket costs or prescription drugs. Um, again, 49 million um, Medicare enrollees are, are going to um, experience those savings. That is all on top of the fact that starting um, over the next couple of years and implemented in phases, Medicare will be able to start to negotiate for the price of prescription drugs for 80 of the most expensive prescription drugs on the market. And by 2030, we'll have all of those um, negotiations in, in progress. Now, we, I will be honest, our organization thinks that Medicare should be able to negotiate for all prescription drugs. <laughs> it, it is just, this program is an opportunity for us to make sure that, um, that these enormous price hikes that we continue to see particularly for drugs that have been on the market for a long time and honestly have not had um, much in the way of improvement or changes. And that there's really no justification other than greed for this um, corporate price gouging. Um, but this is an enormous start to that of moving us down the path of allowing Medicare to, to lower prescription drug costs. It is going to um, save millions of Americans thousands of dollars, and it's going to for the first time, really give people a sense of being able to, um, for all of their healthcare, be able to project out a little bit better um, what they're going to be paying out of pocket and what those costs are instead of having um, these spikes from year to year that make it really unsustainable for families, particularly those on a fixed income to plan. So, um, you know, having worked in the healthcare space for a long time, you, you're kind of working, 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 churning on this, but we've had so much else going on in the world, you know. Uh, between all the things happening around Trump and um, the big lie around elections, COVID, like, you know, so many things, our world, Ukraine, our world has been so much in turmoil um, that, you know, this is a really significant package that passed with a lot of hard work behind it, but I think has not gotten the credit it is due for, for what a landmark healthcare act it truly is. That's a really important point. You know, when I uh, voted for uh, what came to be known as Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, on my birthday, uh, March 21, 2010, 
Um, I knew that I was doing something dangerous to my political career, but I also, and, and in fact, that it tanked me. Um, I lost my bid for U.S. Senate because I had, I had uh, voted for health care for people. Um, and that's okay. I went there to do something and I, I got it done. Um, but I knew you were on that the right side of history. I was on the right side of history. And, and, and that's, that, that's, that's a solace, but I knew that it was imperfect and I knew changes would have to be made. Um, this is perhaps the most important uh, evidence of the way legislation needs to work. Change doesn't come uh, all at once. Often, most uh, most of the time, change is incremental. This is really critical. I want to thank you both for joining me, Zandra Rice Hawkins, Sarah Robinson from Granite State Progress. Keep up the good work, people. Throw the bums out uh, in November. This is Capital Close Up. See you next week.